0: Turned off by religion and hypocrisy, hate being preached to, something missing in your life, you haven't been getting the whole truth, the whole Bible, and the Hebraic roots of the scriptures. Get answers and treasures now on Solace Radio. Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about blessings and how important it is that you receive blessings from the Lord because they can enable you to bless other people. What God gives to you, what he blesses you with, you then can use to bless other people. Even when you're in mourning, the comfort that the Lord blesses you with can become useful to others because you can comfort others who are mourning. The suffering, the challenges, the the difficulties that you've gone through that you have uh, persevered in and, and you have seen God go with you through those things, that perseverance, that endurance, that experience, of God's blessings, even in times of difficulty, will enable you to encourage others, to speak hope and encouragement to those who desperately need it. The more you experience God's blessings, the more you can bless other people. And as your experience is growing in the life of faith, your experience with God in particular, your power to bless other people will increase, as will the range of blessings that you can be to other people. The kinds of experiences that you have, the challenges that you successfully go through, the experiences of God's faithfulness, his blessings in your life will enable you to be a blessing in different ways to people. You may go to someone who is sick, for instance, and you could show them love and care and bless them. You may encourage someone who doesn't have hope when they need hope. You may be able to, to bring food to someone who, who uh, is recovering. And in this way, you can bless them. You may be able to just sit quietly with someone who's mourning and not necessarily have words to speak, but by your presence just show quiet care and compassion. The more God blesses you, the more you can bless other people. And you're going to learn that God wants to use you to be a blessing. He wants to use you to be a blessing, just like he said to Abraham. In fact, you become more true to your nature and your identity and Messiah when, when you are a blessing to other people. Let's, let's remember what God said to Abraham that reflected this. It's in Genesis 12. God says, I will bless you. So God says, I'm going to do the blessing first. He takes initiative with Abraham and says, I will bless you. And then God tells Abraham, you be a blessing to other people. You be a blessing. Now, many English translations don't capture the nuance or the accuracy of the words. And some say, you will be a blessing and they render this in the future tense, which really doesn't capture it. Other English translations say you shall be a blessing, but many people don't remember that shall is not just a future, but it's an imperative. Because the Hebrew itself is actually in the imperative, it it's, could be translated like this be a blessing. Or if you like, you know, that majestic old English, be thou a blessing. You probably haven't used thou uh, at work or at school recently, so I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're sitting near someone, just look at them, smile, and say, "Be thou a blessing. Be thou a blessing." You know, it feels more majestic, doesn't it, when you you add some ye's and some these and some thous and thines and be a blessing. Be a blessing. This also helps us, I think, to remember the source of blessing. God says, I will bless you. You be a blessing. It's not out of our personality necessarily. It's not even out of uh, our character alone. It, it's, it's sourced in God. What God does with us, the blessings that he shows to us enable us to be a blessing to other people. God gives us power. He gives us authority. This is important to remember because the Lord will bring you into contact with people who need blessings beyond your personal power, beyond your personal authority, beyond your resources. Recently, we were praying together with rabbis at the IAMCS International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues Conference in Orlando, and we were praying for buildings and facilities because many congregations need a place, a stable place. And a friend of ours, Rabbi Andy Meyerson, sent word just a couple of days ago that he came back from the conference and a church had given him, his congregation, a roughly $1 million building facility with a 4,500 square foot sanctuary and 2,500 feet, I think, of square feet of classrooms and 3,000 square feet of fellowship hall, just under a million dollars. That's a blessing, isn't it? And you know, God will bless that church. He already has because out of their abundance, they're giving in this particular way. When, when you hear of someone else receiving a blessing, you can say, well, what about me? That's kind of sulky to, towards the Lord. When your children do that, you know, when you bless one of them and the other one is, you know, like whiny and sulky, well, what about me? You know what it is. It's whiny and sulky, right? And very few parents want to give more when the kids are whiny or sulky. But when, when we're grateful for other people receiving blessing, you know what? It's, it, it puts us in a better position with God, with those people, and with others. And I have seen that when people get out of that whiny uh, egocentricity where they stop saying, what about me? You're like, wah, wah, wah. And they start saying, thank you, Lord, for blessing that person. Thank you for overflowing blessing. Thank you for increase. They're understanding that that God doesn't have one pie that he's got to cut into, you know, ever smaller slices if he's going to share it. He's the creator of the whole material universe. Out of nothing other than his sovereign will and his action, he created everything. I'm telling you that because he's got more than enough. And he's not looking at his bank account and saying, I don't know. you know," Because if I give to her, I'm not going to have enough for retirement. <laughs> Some of you are saying, well, I didn't know the Lord wanted to retire. <laughs> you understand the joke. <laughs> when you're made a new creation in Messiah Yeshua through your faith and your faithfulness to him, you're going to have many opportunities to bless people, including blessings that go beyond what you have. Do you remember when that lame man, that one who couldn't walk, was asking for silver and gold? And the apostles, you know, they, they reached into their tunic pockets or whatever they were wearing, and they said, silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, rise up and walk. And he did. So sometimes what people are asking for, you don't have, but what you do have is what they really need. Well, this week's Torah portion describes the last days of Jacob and how he's recalling the blessings of God. And then Jacob blesses Joseph. He blesses Joseph's Egyptian-born sons and then the rest of Jacob's sons and we're going to focus on Jacob's blessings of Joseph and Joseph's two sons. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 48 starting in verse 3. <clears throat> Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and there he blessed me and he said to me. I want to concentrate on this because it's this is the first statement that Jacob is making he's recalling how God blessed him. He's recalling his experience with God. Do you see that? I want to underline that for you so that you can see that the blessings that Jacob is giving to his sons and grandsons are sourced in this moment. That's why he's starting here. He says, God Almighty, El Shaddai. Say that with me. God Almighty, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, God who has overflowing abundance, unlimited resources, who's mighty in every way, appeared to me. This is, this is radical. The, the Hebrew makes it clear that God made himself visible to Jacob. If you look at the, the, the actual incident where it happened, it was in a dream, though, and yet in the dream, God made himself visible. And so there are some who say it didn't really happen and God is always invisible. The same people are perplexed to give an explanation about the the Jerusalem temple. You know, the Jerusalem temple was built according to a pattern of a heavenly temple. If everything in heaven is invisible, it doesn't make any sense. Right? God appeared to me. This is radical. This is foundational. God made himself visible. Now this goes against Islamic theory of God, which says that God is invisible always. He is unknowable. He's outside of the universe that he created. In fact, that Islamic theory of God has penetrated into Judaism, into rabbinic Judaism in many forms, and one of the most particular and highly regarded of the great teachers of rabbinic Judaism, Maimonides, is actually the source for some of this. Because Maimonides was raised in the Muslim culture and actually in his youth lived as a Muslim. He developed his theology in part under the influence. He was teaching under the influence. It's a TUI. <laughs> I call this one of the dirty secrets of rabbinic Judaism, but it's only in in the last few decades that Jewish and Israeli scholars have had like freedom from the fear of looking at Maimonides actual history his personal experience what's known about him and then his philosophy of of religion and his theology about god in order to recognize that Maimonides actually was influenced very strongly by islamic teaching by categories of thought even Uh, some of the pillars, his his 13 pillars, are rooted in Islamic theology and framework. And so Maimonides, one of the great sages of the Jewish people, of rabbinic Judaism, sees God as invisible and fully outside the universe. And in this way, I believe he is what could be called contra-Torah, against Torah. And for that reason, we have to be very careful. We have to be careful about what sources we're willing to absorb and to learn from. Because Torah says, God appeared. Now, if this were the only occasion, it'd be one thing, but back in Genesis, it says that God appeared and walked with Adam. It says that God appeared to Abraham. It even says that that he came to Abraham's tent and ate with Abraham. It tells us that God appeared to Jacob and he even wrestled with Jacob. And after he wrestled with Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Yisrael according to the word of the Lord in Torah because Jacob had wrestled with God. Now you could say, God can't do that. In which case you have to explain away Torah rather than teach according to it. So as for me, I don't want to explain away the things of Torah, especially those things that are, that are clear and taught uh, in, on many occasions in, with great repetition and clarity. God does come down into our material world. Now, it is true that God existed before time and space. Can, can you grasp that? And when he did, he was everything. There wasn't anything else. There's a Hebrew word, tzimtzum, that, that, that means contraction. It's, it's sort of a, a special word that's applied to God, that God, in a sense, made tzimtzum. He contracted so that there was space for time and for materiality. Because he had been all in all, but then he created a universe. And this is where Torah begins, Barashit Barah Elohim. At the Shima at ha'Aretz, in the beginning, at the very beginning of time, God creates out of nothing, the universe that we're living in, the heavens and the earth. And so He creates the universe, and He is different from the universe. This is very important to understand. There is a creator and there is a creation. Now everyone you're looking at in this room and everything you're looking at is part of the created world. And all of us. Our, we can compare ourselves to clay that has been put on a potter's wheel and has been shaped by the potter. We are the pot that has been created by the potter. And he's created us each uniquely and each purposefully. He's created us, and so then the question is, is God able to be in the material world that he has created? Maimonides and others say no. Other theological Groups say, no, he can't. Torah says, yes, he can. Even, Torah says, at Sinai, God came down, which means from the immaterial world of eternity, if you will, or that special place of eternity, he came down, he descended, and he stood, according to the Hebrew, next to Moses. It's very simple and clear in that language. He stood next to Moses. The Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by in front of Moses. That's how the scripture speaks it. And the scriptures, the Torah, the Tanakh, the prophets and the writings were written in Hebrew according to a certain way of thinking. They are not according to Greek philosophy and not according to reductionist principles, you know, where you start out with... A number of principles, and then you explain them and proof text them, if you will. But rather through narrative, through the telling of story, that's how we have received the stories of God, the truth about God. And so, this is a radical idea we're reading here. I want you to understand this because this is what's being passed on to the Jewish people through Torah and from father to son to grandson. And in a sense, it's curative because Joseph has been living in Egypt. And in Egypt, they worship other gods, including false gods. In Egypt, they have this idea that God does come down, and he becomes Pharaoh. He incarnates in a limited way in Pharaoh, And so Pharaoh is the incarnation of the sun god Ra. That's one of the understandings. So you can imagine if you have been under the influence of that culture, you've been raised in that, you need to have something else to replace it. Jacob is giving Joseph the something else. He's saying, let me tell you, let me tell you something. God Almighty, El Shaddai, not Ra, not any of the gods of Egypt. El Shaddai, the God of My fathers, not their fathers, he appeared to me at a specific place in Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and he said to me. And so Jacob is saying to Joseph, God blesses and God speaks, and and God will do that with you too. And he will open up the things that are in his heart and on his mind to you. And then it continues. Let's read on. Behold, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you and I'll make you a multitude of people. In the Hebrew it says kahal. Say that word with me. Kahal, which is the word for congregation, the community of faith. I will make you a community of faith. A congregation of people. And I will give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now there's a radical idea. Israel. Who gives the land of Israel to the people of Israel, we know, the United Nations. But at a moment, they agreed, right? Okay, it wasn't the United Nations, the United Kingdom, the Balfour Declaration. But they said it should be. That was when they were agreeing with the Lord. What Torah says is that God actually has the right to give land. Isn't that an interesting idea? It's not so popular. Could you imagine if all the nations of the world read this and said, wow, you know, we were thinking something else. Can you imagine how things would be different if all the nations got together and they said, this land is your land. It is not my land. It's your land. Because God gave it to you. Now, it is true that Israel hasn't always possessed the land or lived in the land, and sometimes God drove the Jewish people out of the land. Sometimes for discipline, sometimes for preservation. Brought down to Egypt for preservation. Brought to Babylon for discipline that would yield preservation. But the land perpetually remained the Jewish people's. Even the grave, the burial site that Abraham had, is perpetually his. It's still there. He paid for it. He bought it according to his understanding of the Lord. So without consulting other nations, because God doesn't need permission, he says to, to Jacob, I give this to you. I give it to you. Let's keep going. Exodus uh, or Genesis 48, verse 14. This now describes when Jacob is about to bless uh, the grandsons, the sons of Joseph. It says, Israel put out his right hand and he laid it on the head of the younger one, Ephraim. He put his left hand on the head of Manasseh. He intentionally crossed his hands. So do that. See if you can just have that experience. With his right hand, he reached to the younger. With his left hand, he reached to the older. And it was in this position. And then it says in verse 15, he blessed Joseph. So his hands are on Joseph's sons. And this was the blessing. The God in whose presence my father's Abraham and Isaac lived. The God who's been my own shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has rescued me from all harm. Bless these boys. This is so powerful. He's blessing. He's saying that my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, they lived in the presence of God before the face of God. They lived in front of God. They lived with God. Incidentally, parents, it's time to pick up your kids. You can bring them back if you like. But those of you who have children in Shabbat school, Please pick up your young ones. It says that Abraham and Isaac lived in the presence of God. And then it makes this profound statement, God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. God is a shepherd. Say that with me. God is a shepherd. He takes personal care. And Jacob is recognizing that God has been a good shepherd, that that he's cared for him all this time, even during the times of trouble. Even during the times of sorrow, God has taken care of him and is still taking care of him. That's one of the things that Jacob wants to pass on to Joseph. Son, there was a time when I thought you were dead, and it really broke my heart. But God kept me and preserved me. And I've come down here, and I'm with you, and I realize God is my shepherd. He has been my shepherd. He will be my shepherd. Then this radical statement, the angel who has been my kinsman redeemer who has rescued me from all harm. Bless these boys. In the Hebrew where it's saying he rescued me, it's using a a form of the word goal, which means kinsman redeemer. Say that word. Say kinsman redeemer. This This is very interesting, and to try to make sense of it, you have to put it together. God who is the God of Abraham and Isaac. God who is a shepherd. God who is called an angel? How can you be an angel? Well, this is to be understood as the angel of the Lord, who is not just an angel, not to be understood as an angel, but who appears in in our world as if he were an angel to the natural eye. And then as a man, and then ultimately as God, this is what Jacob is saying, that's how he recognized him. Similarly, Abraham recognized him. In many cases, God comes. And this phrase, angel of the Lord, in, in the Bible, is, is used to describe God of heaven who comes down to the earth and makes himself visible in our material world. So for us, as Messianic believers, this is not difficult to understand. It's not difficult to accept, but it's important to recognize. Because this is a recognition of, that God becomes our kinsman redeemer. Well, how do you become a kinsman redeemer? You have to become kin. This explains that Yeshua, this helps us have a foundation for understanding that Yeshua comes down from heaven. God comes down, and he takes on a human body. God fully inside of a human form. Now, some people say, well, God can't do that. Scripture says he can some people say, "Well, that's impossible, because you know, it violates all the rules of DNA. But if you think carefully about the creation of Adam, it violates all the rules of DNA: Clay, inanimate, sculpted,, whew, breathed, it becomes animate. You can take another step. When God takes that part of Adam out and creates Eve, it violates all the rules of DNA. Am I right? Because the chromosomal nature of women is different than men. And so God takes a man's DNA as raw material, if you will, and changes it. So does that break the rules? I think so. So now we understand that Torah tells us that God can not only use DNA, he can change DNA. He can break DNA when he needs to. He can, he can change things as he desires. Those are just some examples. There are others. I just want to whet your appetite. The kinsman redeemer, God comes down and becomes kin, so he has to be born into humanity, into Israel, and he is. He is. So in a sense, Jacob is proclaiming Yeshua in this way. The angel of the Lord who is the Lord, not merely an angel. Who is the redeemer? Because angels aren't redeemers. Only God is the redeemer. So I believe this is an early proclamation of God who appears, who shows his face, who's present with us, who is a shepherd, and who delivers us from evil. Very powerful proclamation. Now, it's important at a time like this to understand that the same God who can make tsum-tsum and contract, if you will, so that there's room for the time and space material world, and ultimately room for mankind, and, um, and mankind being able to make real consequential moral and ethical decisions to choose between good and evil or between faith and faithlessness that the same God can come down and take on human flesh and he can do it in order to be a kinsman redeemer. Now this also helps us understand the nature of the father and son. What's the difference between father and son? It's, it's, I want to make it simple. The son has human flesh when he's on the earth. And I can tell, looking at all of you, you do too. And what I know is that the senses, our human senses, can mislead us about truth. Is that correct? Have you ever felt something and then you were wrong? Have you ever thought something and it was completely wrong despite your evidence? Uh, Let me give another example. Have you ever had a splinter and you couldn't think about anything else? Have you ever been sick to your stomach? Have you noticed that the way you think and the way you feel can be affected by your bodily functions and the in the input that you get? Well, when Yeshua was inside of a human body, if you will, he had to deal with all of that. He could have pulled, you know, like the God card where he's in a human body, but it doesn't really affect him, but he didn't. Instead, he gave us an example of how to live. And that's why he would say, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. This is the key. Don't just trust your sensory input. Confirm it authenticated in God, in his word. When you do that, you can understand that Yeshua was doing the same thing, and he was confirming with the Father. Very important to understand. Because it explains why the son is submitted to the father. Because the father doesn't have that human body. He is God without a human body. And so he's not subject to all of that stuff that you and I are subject to and that Yeshua allowed himself to be subject to. But he used that that submitted relationship to the father in order to confirm and authenticate everything. Because, you know, there were times, I'm sure, when his human body was saying, do this, do that. And yet, he knew the Father was saying something else. As well, when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it makes you, it makes you into a new creation. Through your faith in Messiah, Yeshua, sure you can receive the Holy Spirit. So look around, I want to ask you, how can the Holy Spirit be in you? In you, in you, in you, in you, in you, in, you? in, you? in, in me? How can God be in more than one place? He can, right? And when the Holy Spirit is in you, it's fully God in you, even though you and I are not fully obedient to him, if we're honest, right? But the Holy Spirit is fully God. This is important to understand. It's not a little bit of God and a little bit of something else. The Holy Spirit is all God, and God makes him zoom again in order to be inside of you. It's his way. And when we can put all of this together, we can understand that God can be invisible and outside of the whole universe, but he can come down and be inside the universe. He can become visible. And he can take it a step further. He can come and he can be inside of you. And then he can take it a step further. He can turn you from being a stone to being a living stone. And joining you and me together so that we become a house for God. And with that in mind, let's go to Psalm 23. This is probably one of the best-known scriptures and one of the most loved. In fact, we, we sang a, a, a song that Eric Painter wrote that's based on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. This is a great proclamation that the Lord is shepherd. Not just a shepherd, my shepherd, King David is saying. Very personal, very caring. I want to focus on the last line, which is often neglected. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That has two aspects to it. One is this, that goodness and mercy are in pursuit of you. Which is interesting because your enemies are also in pursuit. But who does God send? He sends What does God send? He sends goodness and mercy to pursue you, to overtake you. His blessings are following after you in order to have an impact on you. That's one aspect. The other aspect is that in your trail, left behind, wherever you go, can be goodness and mercy. The blessings that God gives you enable you to be a blessing to other people. And so you can go somewhere, you can go into a hospital, and someone who's hopeless and sick may be encouraged and, and may be looking for recovery because you came and you blessed them with your presence. An encouraging word, a tasty morsel can make the difference. And then I like how it ends, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is really interesting to me because it shows how important the house of the Lord is to King David. David. And how it can be important to us. I believe that God wants to welcome us into his house forever. Do you? You want to live in his house? I do. No mortgage, I can tell you. No banks. Hopefully, no deterioration, no roofs to fix, no repo. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, how do we get prepared to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? It's by dwelling in the house of the Lord now. Do you remember David also said, I would be content to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I would be glad to serve in the greeters ministry, in the host ministry. That's what David said. I would, I would be happy just to stand at the door and open it for people that want to come in. Well, I think everyone who wants to live in the house of the Lord forever can embrace that attitude. Because if, if you want to live in the house of the Lord forever, practice now living in the house of the Lord. Sign up for the ministry that welcomes people and greets people at the door. Right, Claude? And understand that that ministry has eternal impact. Your smile, your warm welcome, your recognition of someone can make the difference for them. Let's close with Yeshua's words about all this from John chapter 10. Hanukkah. Jacob said, The Lord is my shepherd. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. Yeshua said, I am the shepherd. Now, I know that there are some theologies that have difficulty accepting that God could come down and take on human form and that Yeshua is Adonai. People want him to be more like a prince than a king, more like a delegate than a son. But Yeshua knows who he is. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He said he's the good shepherd. And he said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This is awesome, isn't it? God knows who you are. You know who he is. And then in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In, in, in Hebrew, when you say listen, you're not just talking about the auditory function. You're talking about follow through. So my sheep hear my voice and they do what I say. That's what Yeshua is saying. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now this is, this is hard, this next verse. I and the father are echad. Say that with me, echad. Echad. Hebrew for one. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. God is one. Ask yourself this, the Holy Spirit in the person next to you, is that the same God whose spirit is in you? One God who is able to be omnipresent, but also present. Who is able to be anywhere and unlimited in his ability to be present. God in you is still Echad, right? It's not that there's a little David God and Sandy God and one God. One God in all these places, able to be in all these forms simultaneously without being diminished, reduced in any way, without losing his character in any way. What what scripture calls the fullness of God in Greek, pleroma. The fullness of God. I and the Father are echad. One God. God in heaven, one God, God in earth, one God, the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son are one. This is why it's so important to make the scriptures the source of your theology and your understanding. Watch your sources. Watch what you read and what you study. Don't accept oral Torah. I'm going to tell you why. It's not Torah. That's why. It's not. Oh, we read something. Was it in Ezekiel? 37. What did we read? I'm going to dig it up. It probably won't be today. It'll be another message. But it speaks about that which was written that Moses gave, not something oral. Now, I understand that, that we develop traditions and ways of implementing things. I understand that. They are not to be considered the same as the written word of God as the inspired and tested word of God. So oral Torah is not Torah. That's why I don't call it Torah. I reject it as a theological category because it's not correct. Written Torah is Torah. This is why also we're not teaching Talmud. Even though Talmud has some interesting things, Talmud is not the inspired word of God. And so I want to encourage you, spend as much time as you can and as you need to be fully conversant with what the written scriptures teach. Don't start getting into other sources that go against those and then try to balance them or foolishly elevate those things. I'm being serious. (laughs) Don't drink from those wells because you don't know what impact it's going to have on you. Once you have discernment and you can see things that you wouldn't recognize before that could do you harm that you wouldn't even know it. So this is why we have to be careful about our sources. Don't get absorbed in oral Torah. It's no longer oral, number one, and it's never been Torah. Number two, don't get absorbed in Talmud because it is not the inspired word of God. Don't get absorbed in Kabbalah. Don't even play with Kabbalah, with the Zohar and and with Lurianic texts and things like that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. But if you do, don't play with it. You don't know what you're getting into. You don't know where you've crossed the line into magic and into the occult. The moment you substitute sources, you've endangered your spiritual health and future. I'm serious. It's a warning. It is a warning. Don't get fooled. Do you understand the authority Yeshua was claiming? He was claiming that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He was also saying to us something that the Holy Spirit would inspire those who follow him to remember his teachings and his way. Don't accept substitutes for the New Testament scriptures or for the Tanakh. If you do, you'll do harm to your faith. You'll destroy your faith and your future with God if you accept substitutes. I'm, you know, This is not in my notes, but I feel strongly it's useful to you. Be careful what you eat and drink of. You will become like what you're eating and drinking. Someone wrote me years ago, and they asked for my input about these teachings of the Noachide movement. I wrote back, and I said, do you want to become a Noachide? They said, no. I said, then don't follow their teachings. It's that simple. Don't read their stuff. Don't try to figure it out. Stay away from it because what you absorb yourself in, you will become whether you intend to or not. I'm still serious. Be careful about your sources. And if you don't know how to be careful, just accept the scriptures. And if you say, well, I don't know how to distinguish between good sources and not good sources, it's easy. Just read the scriptures. Be careful about church traditions that go against the Scriptures. Okay, now, why are you clapping for that and you didn't clap for the other stuff? (laughs) Be careful for both. Don't think that they're different. They're substitutes. Traditions are good. They're good. But not all traditions are equally good. Some traditions are bad. Any tradition that goes against the Scriptures is bad doesn't matter whether it's Jewish tradition or not. Any tradition that becomes a substitute and causes you to no longer need what the scriptures tell you you need, that's a bad tradition. Any tradition that can fool you into thinking that you are now okay because you're doing it, it's already dangerous. Do you remember when Yeshua, uh, we have this from the Greek, Yeshua says, be careful with phylacteries, do you even know what a phylactery is? To fill in, be careful because look around and you'll see that the people who are using them have fallen into something. What they're doing, they want other people to see that they're doing. They're doing it to, to show people something, and that's why their to fill in are bigger. Now, to fill in themselves are not scriptural. The commandment to to make frontlets between, between your eyes and signs on your arms. This is scriptural, but the actual practice is not a scriptural practice. It's a creative addition. But Yeshua was saying, be careful about these things, because people can get fooled, and they can think, oh, I've got bigger tzitzit that everybody can see, so I'm better. I pray in such a way everybody knows I'm praying. Yeshua said, you want to test yourself? Go in a closet and pray. See how that works for you. Anything that's external that can distort your understanding of the internal and be a substitute is something that puts you at risk. I wasn't going to talk about this for a few weeks. I'm glad I'm doing it right now. It must be timely. Is it time? But you're more enthusiastic if I'm critical of church traditions (laughs) than Jewish traditions. But I was raised as a Jew. I I dabbled in some church things. Um, Yeshua wasn't actually critical of church traditions. I'll tell you why. There wasn't any. (laughs) (laughs) He was warning us Jews what we could fall into so that we could equip non-Jews in the future. It's like, be careful. Be careful. This is good. (laughs) But I better stop. Because I'm out of notes. No, I've been out of notes for a long time. I'm just going off (laughs) other stuff. But (laughs) this was only a 30-minute message, (laughs) according to what I prepared to share with you. But I've gone long over that. Um, It'll be useful to you if you take it to heart and if you understand it. It'll protect you. And you might say, "Well, I don't need protecting." then you absolutely need protecting. <laughs> the, the scriptures that the apostles left for us have been passed down. They are built on the foundation of the Tanakh, but they are inspired by God and useful for us. They even contain truths that replacement theology churches and uh, anti-Semitic churches and anti-Jewish churches don't, Agree with, so they skip over or they make them say something that they don't say or they ignore them or misread them. But the text is alive and it's ready to correct all those things. It's useful for everybody. Can you imagine Yeshua saying, Well, one last thing before I go, make sure that you master Talmud. He didn't say that. Yeshua didn't say that. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right? He didn't say, you know, there's a Hasidic movement coming. I want you to get involved with that. No, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? I like Hasids, but I'm not a Hasid. And I'll tell you why. Hasids don't believe in Yeshua. They're like flat earth people. (laughs) They get something so fundamentally wrong. (laughs) I'm stopping. Okay, (laughs) Because now I have no control over my. I don't regret having said that. But I can tell you, before we started podcasts, I, I, I told Sandy, I told Sandy, I'm going to take a year to see if I can bridle my tongue. I did. I did. And I've gone to the limit of what I can control. Beyond this I can't. today. Today. Only today. But what everything I've said so far was under control. Okay. Okay. Okay, we're closing. My wife is up here to encourage me to not forget to stop. Thank you, darling. Lord, we want to be a blessing and we know that the only way we can do that is to find our life in you to receive your blessings as you define them in order to give them out to others. We don't want to find our source in anything else. We thank you that your word is active and alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It judges every attitude of the heart. Use your living word for good for us. And Lord, I pray that uh, anything that I said that, that wasn't from you would just be erased and wouldn't have a negative impact on people, but the things from you would go deep and have real fruit. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and bring you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua Hamashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio.